The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. CNN is uh, projecting now uh, that Donald Trump will win the Michigan Republican presidential primary. This will be his fifth straight major victory of the primary season and another loss for Nikki Haley as she persists in her fight against Trump despite his growing advantage in the all-important hunt for delegates, which is, of course, what is needed to win the GOP presidential nomination. Both Biden and Trump won. But President Biden is winning by significantly more. You can't win a general election if you don't get the 40 percent. And then is he doing anything to help himself? No, he said anyone who supported me was barred permanently from MAGA. No doubt about that, Michael Steele. And this is the trap Republicans have set for themselves, is it not? Which is they are the party of Donald Trump, fealty to Donald Trump, which is enough to win a primary but not by as much as you would expect a de facto incumbent to win a primary. It's how you grind yourself down as a national party into the dust of nothing, because the reality of it is, as Joe aptly pointed out, um, there there is no real runway here to sustain a long term, you know, growth prospects for Republican Party with Donald Trump as its head. And it has spent the last eight years systematically taking out the, the, the leadership that could win the candidate that could win are losing in primaries. And Michigan is just a, a, a recent example of that. Well, the reality is Donald Trump, uh, everything he touches does die. Everything he has trying to, tried to put in place does not work. But when you look at the Republican side, right, there is no one with a pulse who believed that Nikki Haley could win tonight. And nonetheless, nearly one third of voters came out to vote against Donald Trump and vote for her. That right there is a vote about where they will stand in November. And that's the essence of Donald Trump's weakness here. Donald Trump as a former president should be winning 90% of the vote, 85% of the vote. But what he's constantly seen in primary after primary is yes, he's got the base locked down, but he is struggling with a ceiling. It's that same ceiling that the Republicans saw in 22, in 20, and it's that ceiling that hates MAGA extremism. And nonetheless, today, once again, we see evidence of it. These are these are flashing red lights for Donald Trump. And his people can whistle past the graveyard all they want. They can insult Nikki Haley all they want. Donald Trump can talk about how badly he's going to beat Barack Obama in the fall all he wants. These aren't good numbers. <laughs> Barack Obama. Uh, yes, uh, I, I think they are warning signs for obvious reasons. I mean, Donald Trump, uh, he's dependent on one thing really right now, which is Joe Biden not being able to turn out the vote because Donald Trump, has, he, he clearly has a ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. He's not making overtures to win over these voters. He's not even trying to uh, be nice or magnanimous to Nikki Haley. He's, he Donald Trump crushes it again, this time in Michigan and right on cue. There are the talking heads to tell you that this is a disaster. It's a disaster for Trump. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. 
We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this program every weekday morning at 11.05 a.m. in the central time zone of the United States. Just go to TrumpetDaily.com or you can see us at the Rumble channel. You can join the growing audience over at Rumble, rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. As we look ahead to this weekend, we'll have another uh, Rumble promotion on Sunday. We'll uh, fill you in on the results from that on Monday's show. Also, a programming note, uh, we sat down with Brent Noctegal, who used to be our Jerusalem uh, correspondent. He's uh, been working underneath uh, curator Brad McDonald to set up the exhibit, Kingdom of David and Solomon Discovered that uh, opened just on Sunday, a few days ago. So uh, Friday's show, we're going to be heading off to the annual uh, AC camp out here in just a couple of hours, my wife and me. So uh, we'll uh, head off for that. You'll have Sam Livingston taking uh, over the show tomorrow. Hopefully he'll keep it under control. Uh, And then Friday, as I say, we've got uh, some excerpts from the grand opening on uh, Sunday and then uh, a nice, uh, really, uh, I think a riveting discussion with Brent, Brent uh, Noctegal, who has uh, recently relocated to our headquarters campus here in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. So lots to look forward to. Uh, I think the Friday show, sitting down with Brent, is the one that we're going to promote on, uh, on Sunday. And of course, uh, every weekday evening, this uh, program is uh, also played on LFA TV, live from America TV. That's a a channel over at Rumble as well. So, as I say, Donald Trump, he crushes it again. Just to break down the numbers, he got 68%. He was actually running against a legitimate opponent backed by the billionaire donor class, the Republican billionaire donor class, Nikki Haley. And and Trump pulls in 68% of the vote. He got a total of 755,000 votes in this Republican primary in Michigan. Joe Biden, for his part, he got 81%, just 617,000 votes. 80, we're, we're told <laughs> nonstop that Trump, I mean, he's, he's, he's getting, okay, he's getting 60 or 70%, but he should be getting 90%. Well, Joe Biden, who was running against nobody, Got, he barely got over 80%. So where's his 90%? He's actually the sitting <laughs> incumbent. And as you know, they're trying to make it out like Trump's an incumbent. If he doesn't get 90%, this, uh, this means it's a disaster for MAGA come November. <laughs> Listen to uh, um, Howard Dean, the screamer, <laughs> if you're old enough to remember. Listen to him as he compares Trump to the fake president, clip four. I bet, I'll bet you anything that Joe Biden could beat the daylights out of Trump in a, in a push-up contest, for example. And Trump knows it too, although if it was a cheeseburger eating contest, it might turn out differently. Yeah! <laughs> There's uh, some, some wonderful commentary coming from uh, Howard Dean saying that Trump would win the cheeseburger contest. It's really, it's really pretty, pretty sad what's, what's passing for commentary these days. You read between the lines, and, and you can see it with other ways that the, uh, the regime media is covering this disastrous administration. 
You, re you read between the lines, though, even on the primary coverage, and you know that Joe Biden is weak. <laughs> Joe Biden is not popular. Joe Biden, there were all the undecideds, or what, what, what was the category yeah, yesterday in Michigan? They, the, basically, the protest vote, over 100,000, that said they, they weren't going to vote for anybody. In the Democrat primary, they're upset. They're, they're, this is the, the extreme radical left in the Democrat Party in places like Dearborn, Michigan, and on some of the university campuses, basically saying, you're not coming out in full support of Hamas, so we're not going to vote for you, Joe Biden. I mean, it's as if Joe Obama's being held hostage by the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. How about that? You think that's going to win a general election? If, if Joe Scarborough could stop for a second and consider the position that Joe Biden is in, this is unwinnable. <laughs> there, the, you can't cheat enough to try to get him across the finish line. That's the real story here. This is from the USA Today. As the presidential primary polls closed in Michigan... I again felt like a youngish Nostradamus. As with every primary state thus far, I had foreseen the outcome. Joe Biden was the choice of Democrats and Donald Trump was the choice of Republicans. It's amazing. I haven't managed to win the Powerball, this guy says. The general election will be Trump versus Biden. Watching these primary, of course, there could be some, <laughs> some dramatic changes at the, uh, the convention. We'll see what happens later this summer. But it says here, watching these primaries unfold is like re-watching a Super Bowl. You can pretend there's drama, but you still know it's going to how it's going to end. And, and that's what we're seeing. A lot of people just pretending that these, these figures are very revealing. If you want to look at the figures, look at why Joe Biden didn't get 90%. Look at the 100,000 voters that, that didn't vote for Joe Biden. In the Democrat primary, it says here that desire for drama, for something to draw readers to news sites and eyeballs to TV screens has created a narrative that the 2024 presidential primary race wasn't over before it began. Still, anything can happen. <laughs> They're still holding out hope for Nikki Haley. It says here, remember the days of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis being the ascendant conservative? who would save the Republican Party from Trump, that was never going to happen, and it certainly didn't. And yet Nikki Haley, she presses on. She's going to be running out of money at some point. They're already withdrawing some of that funding. This is from Michael Goodwin over at the New York Post. It says, it's not my habit to read Paul Krugman's screeds, much less recommend them, but every dog has its day. It says, and Krugman, his latest piece commands attention because of what he inadvertently reveals about elite ignorance. Listen to this. It says, under the headline, The Mystery of White Rural Rage, the New York Times columnist approvingly cites a book that details the decline of rural America. Spoiler alert, technology gets the blame. It says, but Krugman, an economist, quickly adds, I still don't get the politics of rural Americans. And later writes, I still find it hard to understand recent voting pattern. They just can't, they can't figure out 
why Donald Trump enjoys such widespread support from rural America, really from all of America, says what he means, of course, is that nearly nine years after Donald Trump came down that escalator to launch his first campaign, Krugman still hasn't figured out the source of the former president's enduring political strength among people living in what media masters call flyover America. In enduring political strength. That's a good way to put it. Because he came down the escalator in 2015. So we're we're nine years on from that, almost, almost nine years. Yesterday, I gave you that story about the, the string of defeats for the dear leader, Barack Hussein Obama, and how that he came into office in 2009 with the, the, the super majority numbers in Congress. And look at what he lost. Yes, he ran two successful campaigns, assuming there wasn't any cheating in 2012 or 2008. But outside of that, I forget the I forget the author of that article I, I read to you yesterday. But I mean, it's been one disaster after another because of all of the unpopular policies. Donald Trump has staying power. That's what he's that's what he's saying here, and it's been nine years on from the moment that he came down the escalator. It says, even now, as Trump rolls through primaries on his way to a third presidential nomination, Krugman professes to be in the dark. Perhaps he is, but if so, it's a choice. It's a choice. You're just choosing to be ignorant, choosing to dwell in the dark. You could figure this out. You're smart enough to figure out why he's popular, to figure out why the appeal is there. But they're blinded by rage. They're blinded by Trump derangement syndrome. They're blinded by the devil, really. Prince of the power of the air. It says, willful ignorance is the only way to explain his bizarre claims, which include that New York is a relatively safe city compared to the hellscapes of rural America. New York's safe, rural America is dangerous. Right. He also ridicules the idea that illegal immigration, wokeness, and deep state are real problems, blaming nearly every rural rural uh, ill on technology. He concludes by declaring that white rural rage is arguably the single greatest threat facing American democracy. You see articles like this all the time, Krugman and whoever else, further on. Goodman says here, Goodwin, I believe it is, if they had actually reported the campaign fairly and honestly, even Krugman might have learned something. Instead, here we go again with virtually every Trump story in the Times these days, an opinion piece arguing he's not fit to be president again. He's just not fit. Trump is Hitler. That's what they're going with. They're not campaigning on policy. It's just Trump is Hitler. It says here, it's a a replay of 2016 and 2020. Here you go. Russia hoax or Russiagate 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, as we covered earlier in the week. It's a replay. They've run out of ideas. So much so that we can probably expect some kind of Russia, Russia, Russia hoax any day now. Well, that's already here. <laughs> that's already here, as I read to you yesterday. I mean, they're, 
They're running on the fact that Russia's already interfering in the 2024 election. They're now election deniers. Even after they've tried to put people in prison for denying the results or for saying that the results of 2020 were fraudulent, it was rigged. What did Tucker Carlson say the other day? This is, uh, this is him saying something about the rigged election that he surely couldn't have said uh, if, he's, if he still would have been at Fox. Clip uh, number five. The second the election ended and they stopped voting, stopped the vote counting on election night, I was like, well, this is, and it's all now mail-in ballots, electronic voting machines. I was like, that's a rigged election. I thought that then, I think it now. Well, now it's obvious that it was. But at the time, I was like, I feel like there's that was like crazy what just happened. I want, but I don't want to go on TV and say that's a rigged election because I don't have any evidence it's a rigged election. You can't do that. It's irresponsible and it's wrong. Uh, you said uh, to some degree the election was rigged. Was, was it stolen? Totally ridiculous. It was to- 100% stolen. Are you like joking? Like it was rigged to a, that large of a yeah, degree. Yeah, they, they completely change the way people vote. Right before the election, on the basis of COVID, which had nothing to do. So in with that way, it was rigged. Meaning, like and then manipulated. Then you censor the information people are allowed to get. You can't have censorship in a democracy by definition. Here's how it works: the people rule. They vote for representatives to carry their agenda to the capital city and get it enacted. That's how they're in charge. And then every few years, they get to reassess the performance of those people in an election. In order to do that, they need a. They need access, unfettered access to information. And no one, particularly not people who are already in power, is allowed to tell them what information they can have. They have to have all information that they want. Whether the people in charge want it or don't want it or think it's true or think it's false, it doesn't matter. And the second you don't have that, you don't have a democracy. It's not a free election, period. A hundred percent stolen. I mean, good for him. I'm a little disappointed to hear him kind of give himself an out that, well, I can't, I couldn't report on this at the time because I didn't have the proof. Well, I mean, we were living through the New York Post being censored on Twitter and elsewhere. We lived through that in October of 2020. And then you just had the piles of evidence presented by Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis and others. Donald Trump, obviously, he was the president of the United States at the time. Donald Trump. I mean, they were sounding the alarm. And everyone over at Fox News and everywhere else, every conservative site, they were intimidated into silence. And so here we are, three plus years on from the steal, from the 100% it was stolen. And finally, we're able to admit the truth. We, we, <laughs> we spoke about the rigged election the day after it happened. Donald Trump was talking about it within hours when everything was shutting down. You know, they had all the election, the the people counting votes, they had to go home because they needed a nap. Just these crazy things that the, 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 the arena in Atlanta, it shut down because of a leaking urinal. Seriously. The late night ballot dumps. And then, of course, we find out all of this evidence later. We find out that the deep state, in fact, actually did censor, working together with Twitter and and Facebook to censor stories that would make the Biden crime family look bad. 
but there's Tucker yesterday. I mean, better late than never, I suppose. A hundred percent it was stolen. So what do they have left up their sleeves? <laughs> Can they rig the election? I mean, if Donald Trump got 73, 74 million votes last time, more than any other president in U.S. history, how many is he going to get this time when he's got all these minority groups, when he's got these hip-hop singers endorsing him, when he's got people like Joe Rogan, who, who reach, I mean, he reaches a large audience, liberals, conservatives alike, I suppose, but even he sees the disaster that is Joe Biden. He, of course, is just the puppet. The puppet master is the dear leader. Listen to Fox News yesterday as they broke down the, the uh, election or the primary in Michigan on the, the Democrat side. This is clip 10. Now to the Democrat side here. Uh, there's this uncommitted vote that seems like it's fairly significant. Your thoughts? It is. It's significant. I mean, right now at 14%, this uncommitted vote is led by Rashida Tlaib and others who are protesting the administration policy on Israel and the, the war with Hamas in Gaza. Uh, again, we go back to some of these counties just very quickly. You see uh, 13% there, Livingston County 11%, but then we go again to the University of Michigan and you're at 21%. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, Ann Arbor, the specific town, is up to about 32% for uncommitted. It's not a great signal. It does. It is a warning signal for Democrats. And as you get to the general election, they're going to look at the vulnerability there in Michigan, as well as the union vote that has trended towards uh, Donald Trump as well. 80, 81% for the incumbent and something like 14 or 15% uncommitted on the Democrat side. They won't commit to Biden. And yet the regime, they go on and on about how that Donald Trump, okay, he's crushing it, but he's not crushing it enough. No, no, actually, it's not. It's Joe Biden that's not crushing it enough. This is from the Daily Beast, <laughs> coming from the left wing. It says the uncommitted movement eventually surpassed 100,000 votes in the Democratic primary, a clear rebuke of the president's unconditional support for Israel and a major sign of trouble for Biden in a state that was decided by less than 11,000 votes in 2016. I mean, in some ways, you could say the entire election hinges on Michigan, what happens in Michigan. Things have uh, been cleaned up a little bit in Georgia, let's hope. Uh, but if uh, Biden loses Michigan... That, that puts him in danger of losing a presidential election. Can they steal enough votes or harvest enough votes in Michigan to pull it off again? They did everything. They Everything in the playbook, as far as cheating goes, they used it all in 2020. Can they get away with it again? Can they turn out the numbers of fraudulent votes like they did in 2020? says here the so-called listen to michigan campaign was led by and targeted toward muslim arab american young and progressive voters who have grown disillusioned with biden's handling of the war in gaza perhaps no state was more fitting 
was a more fitting venue for this challenge than Michigan, which is home to the largest Arab-American population in the United States. So he's in a very difficult position, Biden, where he has to, he has to reach out to the American or the Arab-American population. But if he wins them over, he's going to lose the Jewish population. There's so much in the way of extremes in that Democrat party. And then, of course, he's got all of the, the, the bad publicity coming from the, the invasion at the southern border. People just pouring in, and, and violent criminals at that. You had this case in, in Georgia. This was covered in today's morning brief. A 22-year-old, Lakin uh, Riley. She was raped and murdered. Her skull was crushed. There was a headline in the New York Post saying that the, I mean, how is this for a headline, by the way? Migrant charged with murdering Lake and Riley likely panicked when she fought back. What a, what a crazy, that's the New York Post. That's not the New York Times. The migrant flipped out because, well, she was about to be raped and she fought back. Well, of course she fought back. Who wouldn't fight back? And then he bashed in her skull. And then you've got this other case. Of Venez another Venezuelan man. Keep in mind, the ones pouring in, mostly they're young, single, military-aged men. And so you've got the case of this Venezuelan man who, who uh, came across the border illegally. And he's been charged with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl in Virginia. Listen to this from Bloomberg. This is a, a story that's a few months old, December of 2023. And the headline here is Venezuela's violent deaths fall to 22-year low on migration. It says Venezuela's rate of violent deaths dropped to its lowest level in more than two decades following years of massive migration as both criminals and victims fled the nation's economic crisis. <laughs> it's exactly what Donald Trump said. They are not sending their best. No, they aren't. The violent criminals in Venezuela are coming to America, and why wouldn't they? They can get away with, with beating up law enforcement officials or robbing stores or pickpocketing people or even raping, raping American women or teenagers. They can get away with that or, or at, the, at, at, at worst, they get a slap on the wrist. It, it's a good time to be a criminal in the United States. It says the Venezuelan Violence Observatory registered 26.8 violent deaths per 100,000 inhabitants this year. It says further on, young people who have traditionally been the main victims of violence have fled, while criminals and gangs have immigrated due to the lack of opportunities to commit crimes. So here's the United States, Manasseh, opening the doors. <laughs> They're wide open. And Manasseh just inviting the world in, including Venezuelan murderers, including Venezuelan gangs and criminals. It says, while violent deaths in the world have increased due to wars in most Latin American countries, the trend has been a reduction in homicide rates. I mean, that is just 
that this is how nations commit suicide. Listen, let's open the doors and let the violent criminals in as if, like I said earlier this week, as if America needs more criminality. This is from the New York Post on that, that 14-year-old girl from Virginia, a Venezuelan migrant in the U.S. illegally after being stopped and then released at the border five months ago, has now been charged in Virginia with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl. Listen to a mayor from, uh, this is a Democrat. He's from, uh, I think, the Georgia County, where the girl had her, her skull bashed in. Listen to him say that, you know, there's no, there really are no statistics showing that having a wide open border invites criminals to come into the country. Clip nine. In the main, I caution against conflating immigration and crime. The data demonstrates that the two are not connected. Because the impact of federal immigration policy on localities has been under such consistent discussion in recent months, I do want to say a few words about this. It's my 18th year as a local government policymaker, and my work has overlapped with four U.S. presidencies and numerous iterations of Congress. All of them have failed to reach agreement on how to handle immigration. Everyone's failed, you know, Democrats, Republicans, doesn't matter. But before that, he said there's no connect between immigration and crime. There's no connection. The data just doesn't show that there's any increase in crime. If there's one criminal act, that's an increase. The data shows that just with these two incidents in Georgia and Virginia. That's right. And that's just scratching the surface, isn't it? The Daily Mail says that New York Mayor Eric Adams has called for a radical overhaul of its sanctuary city status in a spectacular U-turn as the city buckles under the weight of migrant arrivals. When Eric Adams says, hey, we need to reconsider our sanctuary status here, you know it's bad. You know that people are furious. This is a (laughs) lose-lose campaign item for Democrats across the country. Certainly Joe Biden right at the top of the list. Speaking of lose-lose, you've got the lawyer for, uh, who was it? Nathan Wade, I think. He's the divorce attorney. He's testifying yesterday trying to explain why, you know, he he said in text messages that that Nathan and Fanny were an item before before Fanny hired him. uh, Here again are attorneys that bring the receipts and then these witnesses, and in this case, a lawyer, a highly trained lawyer, a well-educated lawyer, squirming on the hot seat. Listen to this from yesterday, clip six. When you told me that their relationship started when she left the DA's office and was a judge in South Fulton, where did you obtain that knowledge from? was I was speculating um, I didn't have a um, no one told me I was speculating no one told you that no one told me that 
you were speculating based on things that had been told to you or things you had observed? So I'm going to object as to uh, the nature of uh, this line of questioning because the witness has made it clear he was speculating as to how or what he knew. And if it's speculation, it's inadmissible for this court. All right, but the motivations for his reason for speculating would be admissible, so I'll overrule that. Thank you, Judge. Was this speculation, when you told me that, was that based on things that had been told to you and things that you had witnessed? I never witnessed anything. So, um, you know, it, it was speculation. I can't tell you... Um, anything specific he was just speculating about the nature of the relationship and of course we now know the there was something like what was it two three thousand phone calls over the course of 2021 something like twelve thousand text messages yeah between fanny and wade they were just in constant communication six phone calls per day 40 some texts per day Every day through 2021. And then in November of 2021, Fanny hires her lover. And here's this guy, the divorce attorney. Because remember, the lover, he, he filed for divorce the day after Fanny hired him. He had it made. He didn't want his wife to get any of that money. This is from Just the News. It says, Court proceedings over the Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade has transformed into a, a Peyton Place episode. It says, Meanwhile, the elephant in the room of Wade's reported contact uh, in the room of Wade's reported contact with the White House went largely unmentioned. That hasn't really even gotten any coverage. The fact that Wade was in contact with Joe Biden's White House. And we now know, too, that Joe Obama had a plant there on Fannie's team to get this attack, get Trump in motion. And now these, these people, all of them, being fully exposed. Listen again to another very uncomfortable pause as this attorney asks the ex-divorce lawyer, his name's Terrence Bradley, about the text messages proving proving that Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis were, were definitely in a sexual relationship before Fannie hired him, clip seven. Now, the first page starts off by saying, Miss Merchant, like just date, don't hire him. Do you think it started before she hired him? You see that? Yes, I see it. Yes. And your response to that was absolutely correct. I'm going to object, ask and answer in cumulative. He's looking at his text messages. The, the attorney is showing him and he, he, if you didn't hear it, he whispered dang because he knows he's caught. He knows he's caught. He knows they have the receipts. He knew they had a relationship, this guy. Those persecutors, the attackers, they're being exposed. And as I've covered this week and last week as well, so many of these people, they're guilty of the very crimes that they say Donald Trump is guilty of. For more on this, for much more on this, make sure that you request America Under Attack, the 800 number if you're in the U.S., Canada, 
um, the Caribbean, 1-866-930-3024. When we come back, we'll conclude today's show with our Bible study segment, and maybe if we have some time, uh, some email feedback that's come in over the last many days as well. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Newly expanded, America Under Attack. I did mention that uh, yesterday or day before uh, that uh, if you've read the paperback version of this book, which is a pretty big book as well, uh, you may not know that we've added and updated quite a lot of content in this uh, most recent printing of America Under Attack. So uh, I would encourage you to go through the latest, greatest version. We've been talking uh, in recent programs about uh, walking by faith. And when you see all the events, I mean, even just talking with uh, Brent Noctegall uh, in the interview that we, uh, we recorded for this Friday's show, you're reminded of just how miraculous this work has been and how it really and truly has been a work of faith from start to finish. Even going back to our first, our first, uh, uh, work with Dr. Elat, the late Dr. Elat Mazar back in 2006. And we just sent three volunteers over there to work with her on an excavation, and then it grew from there. And now you see Armstrong Auditorium, that was completed in 2010, and we've had this, that, well, actually three exhibits now. This, this latest, the most spectacular yet, the kingdom of David and Solomon discovered Jesus said in Luke 18, in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? When Christ returns to this earth, will he find faith? 
Will he, will he find anybody that's just walking by faith, that's just trusting in God? It's just so easy to put your trust in yourself or maybe some other person or some other political party or whatever it is. God wants us to have faith toward him. That's what it says over in Hebrews 6 and verse 2. This is a, a foundational doctrine or teaching of the church. Faith toward God. Mr. Armstrong wrote in his little booklet, What is Faith? Commenting on Luke 18.8, which we just read, Will I find faith on earth? In the faith booklet it says, When Jesus uttered those words, he was looking into the future, into our very present generation, which he clearly foresaw. And foreseeing the almost total absence of faith in our time, he asked this question. Certainly the world has almost lost sight of real faith. You can study into the book of James. Look at James 1 and James 2, the first two chapters of that book. And you can see there's two kinds of faith. There's living faith. That's Christ in you. The hope and glory, as Colossians 1 says. And then there's dead faith. There's faith without works. There's plenty of that in the world today. Faithlessness. Notice 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. It says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. To see if you're walking by faith. We've got to put ourselves through a daily a weekly, a monthly examination, a yearly examination. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. Examine yourself. Are you passing the, the test of faith? When Christ returns to this earth, will he find faith in you? This is one of the, the very foundational doctrines of God's true church. In fact, our eternal life uh, depends on this. We're saved by grace, as Ephesians 2.8 says, through faith. Saved by grace through faith. So we want to make sure that we, <laughs> that we understand this subject the right way. Notice John 5 and verse 19, just to, to uh, look at the example of Jesus Christ. He was a man of faith, for sure. He trusted in God for everything. Verse 19 of John 5 says, Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. It says, For what things soever he does, these also doeth the Son likewise. Christ wasn't able to do anything without the support, the aid, the help, the power that God the Father provided. That's quite a statement. John 5, verse 19. Notice verse 30. It says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. This, uh, this explains how that Jesus Christ was able to perform all of those mighty and wondrous works. Because he was close to his Father in heaven, you can read scriptures all through the Gospels. 
where he uh, got up a great while before day and went off into the wherever it was, Mount of Olives or up into a hill somewhere, just somewhere alone where he could, he could draw close to God. Uh, Jesus Christ was a man in demand. I mean, people were chasing after him in some cases. Thousands of people, crowds of throngs of people were turning out to hear what Jesus said, to witness a miraculous healing, to, to witness thousands of people being miraculously fed. Well, if you look at the rest of the story, you see how diligent he was to get away from time to time and to make sure that he was really drawing near to God in prayer. John 14 and verse 10, it says, Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. It says, The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He doeth the works. God the Father is the one responsible for the works. God the Father is the one responsible for the miracles. In the faith booklet, it says here, yes, even as you and I may be, Jesus was filled with God's Holy Spirit, God's dynamic supernatural power. This power of God Almighty, the Creator, was literally in Jesus. And the same identical power of the same identical living God may be within you today. Yes, indeed, you have access to that same power. I mean, you've got to go through the process that everyone does coming into God's family. Repentance, faith, baptism, the laying on of hands, and so on, and then the receipt of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice verse 11. This is also John 14. It says here, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So we not only have access to the same God, I mean, we also have an advocate in Jesus Christ, an advocate when we sin, as it says in 1 John 2, 1. We've got an intercessor. That's, that's Romans 8. We've got a high priest. That's uh, Hebrews 3. We've got an aid. We've got a support. We've got an advocate right at the throne of God, Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet, yet he went through it and never did commit a sin. That's in Hebrews 4. And so we can go boldly before God's throne because of this, because of his purpose and plan. Galatians 2 and verse 20. This is a, a memory verse. Notice it says here, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live, said Paul, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You know, some of the more modern translations, when they're dealing with verses like Galatians 2.20 or other ones, when it, when it says the faith of Christ, a lot of times they'll change it to the faith in Christ. Like just a, belie a simple, shallow belief in Jesus. 
This is very common in the world of traditional Christianity. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. 1 John 4 and verse 2 speaks of Jesus Christ coming again in our flesh. Romans 5 and verse 10 says that we're saved by the life of Christ, not the death. We're reconciled to the Father by the death, but we're saved by the life. This is where living faith comes into play. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's how Paul lived, and that's how, that's how God wants for you and me to live as well. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. We sometimes call it that. It says at the beginning, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is your evidence that you'll have it even before you receive it, because you just know. It's your faith, if it's, if it, I should qualify that, saying that if your faith is educated, if you understand what the will of God is, that's Ephesians 5.17, I believe, so you do have to know, I mean, but there are promises from beginning to end in the Holy Scriptures. And we, want to, we, we ought to be digging into the Word of God so that we can find out what those promises are. And then go to God and beseech Him for help, for power, for intervention, for deliverance, for blessings. Verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, God expects diligence when it comes to our worship of him and our submission and, and obedience to his laws. He'll reward you if you're diligently seeking after him. Without faith, it's impossible to do this. It's impossible to please God. This, just like Hebrews 6, 2 says, faith toward God. I mean, this, this is one of the basic principles of the Christian religion, of God's family. A few emails that we can finish off today's show. The email address, by the way, trumpet.com if you want to submit some feedback to the show. This one here says, What a grand opening for David and Solomon's monumental kingdom exhibit at Armstrong Auditorium last week. The Let the Stones Speak exhibit edition is right up there on the same level. Truly awesome. It says, As your father's from the editor article says, It's hard to believe, but this has never been done before. Certainly not like this. The live stream functioned great on our end. They're in Ohio, by the way. It says here, we're confident the, the seeing and hearing of this grand opening has left many as it did the Queen of Sheba when she witnessed it all in person. That's 1 Kings 10, and it says there that it just took her breath away. This is uh, another one that says, I'm a loyal TD viewer from Georgia and love to join in the live rumble streams and chats. At noon, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than with the small TD flock I'm thankful to be part of the fastest moving hour. Thank you always for bringing tomorrow's news today, and especially for the spiritual character buffer. It says, the Bible study sections have had me in tears here lately, yet I'm, I'm thankful 
because God is talking to me through you. It says, I know this to be true without spiritualizing a feeling. I'm looking forward <laughs> to baptism. Thank you for being courageous in Christ. Here's another one that says, I was just wondering when and if your dad will be writing another edition to America Under Attack. It says, this book just keeps giving and giving. I pray America wakes up sooner than later to save what shreds are left of our country. Well, it is hard to believe we're now moving <laughs> closer to two years since this hardcover edition came out. It could be updated more, I'm sure. This one here is addressed to Samuel, our beloved producer. They write, is that darling little boy Daniel who made his debut performance last evening in Celtic Throne your son? What a cutie. And in fact, it is. Sam, miracle of miracles. Sam actually has, well, not, not one. He's got two cute boys. This is no doubt largely because of his beautiful wife. But they are proud parents of the newest member of the Celtic throne family. That would be little Daniel Livingston. It says here, uh, he was keeping the, the rhythm well with his little guitar during the family segment. Also wanted to say thank you very much uh, to you and your staff for the great work in producing the Trumpet Daily program and keeping us informed on the actual current news that we need to know and understand in these chaotic times. I really appreciate being able to watch it daily. Another one here says, I was able to view the kingdom of David and Solomon discovered from home. Thank you every single one of you for this mind-opening adventure through his history and heritage. <clears throat> it says, outstanding. I was completely amazed to wake up Monday morning and see this spectacular event uh, was not reported by any news outlets. Well, it did get a little bit of coverage. I know Brent had an interview yesterday with Haaretz. That's an Israeli publication, left wing, by the way. There was another one in the Times of Israel um, had, some, had some strange statements in it, but, you know, some coverage. I guess any coverage is better than nothing. But they're right. I mean, this should be, this should be breaking news all over the world. As it is, so many people just dismiss it or ignore it. It says here, one day, one day soon it will be. Thank you. I'm hard-pressed to see how this exhibit can be surpassed. There's a lot more that we have to say about this, this groundbreaking exhibit, and that'll be on Friday's show. Make sure that you tune in to see that special edition of the Trumpet Daily. That's all we have time for on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.